Welcome back to the Unrestricted Movie Podcast, all about movies that we were never able to watch. I'm your host today, Josh, and I'm here with my fellow podcaster. Yes, your co-host, Ryan. Yes, my co-host, Did Ryan. Did you forget my name? No, wait a minute. Have we been drinking that much already that I'm forgetting people's names? You know, we've been friends for how long now? Nearly Going on nearly 30 years, and you forgot my name tonight, of all nights? Oh, damn it. Well, I think I'm just a little hungover from the last episode, Ryan. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, let's see, I got a Corona premiere, and I've got an Arnold Palmer spiked tea. What are you, what are you drinking? Oh, today? just a little Arnold Palmer with some birthday cake. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here recording. What are we recording today, Ryan? What are we talking about? So we're going to be talking about the movie Atomic Blonde from 2017. Initial reactions, Josh. What did you think of the movie? You know what? I thought it was a pretty kick-ass movie. I liked it a lot. Really? The action was good. Yeah, like a lot of good actors in this movie. I don't know why I'm so surprised because I really? pretty much did agree you? with you fully. Okay. To the most extent, like I, I, there's parts of it that I have that I have issues with, but for the most part, yeah, this was a really good movie. Sure, it was fun for me because I'm a little bit of a history buff and I really enjoy like Cold War ish stuff, and so that was particularly interested me. Just the setting is was really cool. I don't right. know, I like the setting a lot. Yeah, the setting of the last week uh, before the fall of the Berlin Wall, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is almost like a historical fiction kind of genre movie mixed with James Bond. It's like the femme James Bond. Charlize Theron is kick-ass in this movie. She's amazing. Yeah, so... I mean, this was definitely a spy thriller. Yeah. And, you know, you related it to James Bond. And I don't know if you know, and I don't want to give any spoilers away about the the final Daniel Craig James Bond movie that just came out. Oh, yeah. Don't have spoil you seen it. That? No. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm not late gonna, to the party. Please, don't spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it for you. But have you heard the rumors of them replacing 007, Agent 007, with a female 007? I have. And after watching this movie, I was like, that could work with the right yeah. with the right female lead, I think. I think so. Like, they're not replacing James Bond, right? There, There's one James Bond, he's a character, who just so happens to have the agent codename 007, right? Right. So it doesn't matter who 007 is. It can be man, woman, black, white. It can be anybody. Not a child, though. Well... Not any man, woman, or child. <laughs> I guess that really depends on MI6's <laughs> standards. <laughs> child labor laws, people. Right. Okay. No, I, I agree with you, Ryan. I think that could be something. That, there could be something there, for sure. Going into this movie, Atomic Blonde, uh, what did you know about it? Absolutely nothing. Although, uh, I did know that it was based loosely based on a graphic novel. Right. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's based on the 2012 graphic novel called The Coldest City. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure why they changed the name to Atomic Blonde, but it, it's kind of cool. I like the name. <laughs> I guess when you think of The Coldest City, you're not necessarily thinking a spy action movie. Right. So Atomic Blonde and Charlie's Theron's face, I think you connect the dots very easily and you kind of know what the movie's about. Yeah, and, and Charlize Theron talking about her, aside from being totally kick-ass in this film, and I think she's a great action star, she's actually um, one of the, the co-producers of this film, so she had her nice. hand in the mix, and she really uh, brought this movie to production. But yeah, let's just kind of talk about the overall aesthetic and the historical, you, you brought up the historical aspects of the film. You have some knowledge of, I mean, you you, uh, you were in the Ukraine for two years, mm -hmm. 
And so you have some knowledge of uh, Russian history. How did that knowledge kind of help you interpret or enjoy this film? So we get to connect this to religion like we always do. So sure. the, the reason that I'm familiar with that area of the world is because I served an LDS mission there. Right. So I served in Ukraine, which is right next to Russia. Um, and I was on the eastern portion of that. So literally next to the border of Russia. Right. So I've seen, you know, up close and personal post-USSR relations really yeah like, you know just seeing being in that kind of an environment and it brings back some cool memories and some crappy mm -hmm. memories for me but i i don't know i identify with that a lot just having some personal experience and so yes i i speak russian right. i know russian and so that part is always fun for me anytime i'm watching a movie and like russian comes on and like my little ears perk up and i'm <laughs> like oh what are they saying and right. you know if i'm with anyone everyone knows to ask me what exactly they're saying and if they're speaking very well so <laughs> right you you mentioned uh, to me before the podcast how you were kind of listening to everyone's accents in Russian and how they were doing. And let, let our viewers know how, how did the actors portray their uh, their Russian accents? How, how did they do? Yeah, I thought for the most part they did really well. James McAvoy was pretty good for an English native English speaker, but it's it, you can definitely tell who's native Russian Russian or Eastern European language speakers and who aren't. But yeah. the, the other thing about this movie is that a lot of German is mixed in too. And so right. I think sometimes, I don't know, they might even be speaking German when they're supposed to be speaking Russian or they, it kind of melts together a little bit. But Do you know, pre all of the Berlin Wall, when there was West and East Germany, um, which one was the side controlled by Russia? East Germany would be controlled by Russia. Okay. Berlin so, was cut in half. Right. One side, Eastern USSR, the other side. So East Berlin, as part of the USSR, did they speak both Russian and German, most of the people there? Well, I am not an expert by any means, but I know that Russian would have been the official language. Okay. I'm sure that they still spoke German when they could. Right. But Russian would have been pushed for sure. So coming from my background, you know, interacting with U Ukrainian people, almost everybody spoke Russian, but then also nearly everyone spoke Ukrainian. Is and there a big difference between the two? There is a difference. I would say like the difference between Spanish and English-ish. Oh, okay. Maybe there there might be a little closer, but there are certain sounds and things that in Ukrainian that you wouldn't necessarily speak right. in Russian. So, so Spanish, English, French, those are languages that are collectively part of romantic languages, mm -hmm. whereas Russian and Ukrainian, they're also in a collective, you would say? Yeah, you'd say they're like cousins on the family tree okay. of languages, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> Just not so, romantic. No, I, I, I know only a little bit of Ukrainian. I know a oh, few really? words, okay. but not a ton. I can pick up some things in Ukrainian, probably, but not the same level of understanding for Russian, for me. Now, I, I don't want to go off on too many tangents, but I am interested in your time in the Ukraine. I want you to tell us a little bit about something you told me once about being protected by the Russian mafia. Being protected by the Russian mafia? Yeah. Oh, damn. Maybe I don't remember this Do you this remember story. this? I remember I bribed a police officer with a Book of Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun story. Maybe I misheard you. Um, I thought you mentioned something about the Russian mafia protecting LDS missionaries. Um, not to my knowledge. Okay. I, I would have been afraid of the mafia. 
I would not have been comfortable. I know that the Russian, or the, I guess the Ukrainian mafia, they were known to break into buildings and things just, you know, for intel purposes. Oh, okay. Like the mission office was, I don't know if it's an urban legend or something that actually happened, but <laughs> the mission president talked often about how they would break in and find information, and but they had somewhat of a working relationship with the authorities. Right. So, so for people that weren't in the know about the Mormon church, there was a lot of mistrust. Oh, like sure. Elders. Oh, yeah. I, but, you know, in general, they're very anti-American anyway. And so sure. it's obvious that we're American. Right. And so be- between that and being from an American religion trying to preach, you know, we weren't very super highly accepted. Right. Yeah, I, I remember sometimes um, on my mission in the Dominican Republic, there were certain people that weren't familiar with the missionaries, and they would call us La CIA, the CIA. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was called a terrorist on several occasions. People just thought, because we're, we're walking <laughs> around in suits and ties, like clean cut, so we kind of look like the mafia. Right. No, I was called a terrorist and all kinds of different things <laughs> when I was over there. That's how I learned all of the Russian swear words that I know. Just, <laughs> so, you know, I, I tell everybody that I know mostly just the ones that people called me so i think we should hear the russian swear words that you know let's um yeah let's hear the some of those russian swear words you know we we have an explicit rating for our podcast so let's make it let's earn that rating well i got in trouble one time when i said blachamuka blachamuka yeah blachamuka blachamuka it's it has something to do with the f word i don't know what they all mean i just know that they have a lot of guessing motherfucker something like that <laughs> so, like Suka is bitch, which that word does appear in Atomic Blonde. Suka. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who, so who she's she's beating up the like the like bleach blonde hair guy. Okay. Yeah. Tall. And his Russian was really good, by the way. So and he's he, probably native Russian. He, you think? Po- potentially, or just Eastern European. Yeah. And so he called her a Suka, and she said, <laughs> "Now do you think I'm a bitch?" <laughs> Went right before she like kills him or whatever. So. That one did make an appearance in the film. Yeah. Clap for her. Slow clap. (laughs) So before we get into kind of just the overall aesthetic of this film, which I want to talk about. Yeah. I really enjoyed the aesthetic of this film. Let's talk about Charlize Theron because, oh my God. Are you okay, Ryan? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. Like Charlize Theron has always been just a huge celebrity crush of mine. Oh, ever since The Italian Job. Yeah. For me. Yeah, ever since the Italian job. Maybe even before then. I watched a movie of hers called Two Days in the Valley, I believe it was called. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, just this sexy, tall, blonde who has great acting chops Mm -hmm. and we've come to learn can do really kick-ass action. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we've seen it in The Old Guard. I don't know if you've seen that on Netflix. Great movie. Aeon Flux. I probably have seen that movie a long time ago. It's kind of a sci-fi action movie. Black uh, hair. She has black hair in that one. Yep. Black leather. Oh. Is that? <laughs> Very sexy. Yes. The Fast and Furious franchise, she's the bad guy in oh. the newer movies. She's... I knew you were going to get a plug to Fast and Furious <laughs> somehow. I have to talk about Fast and Furious yeah. every single episode. <laughs> uh, I'm a huge fan of the franchise. One of my favorite movies, which I hope we can talk about on the podcast, I'm not sure if you've seen it yet, Mad Max Fury Road. I have not seen it. Oh, yes, we can talk about it on the podcast. It's on the list. It's on the list. She plays a woman named Furiosa in this movie, and oh my god, she steals the movie. Yeah. I'll get to that one. She is 46 years old, Mm -hmm. and she has proven that 
women, even of her age, can be kick-ass movie stars, kick-ass action stars. Yeah. You know, we, we get all these shitty movies with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Tom Cruise, I'm not going to put in there. Oh, like, but he's so old. He makes really good movies, though. Okay. No, well, the mum, we just talked about the mummy. The Mission Impossible movies, though? That's yeah, that's fair. Are still really good. Yeah, yeah, and, I like the first two, though, but now there's like, no. what, five of them? But he's still doing his own stunts, and they're still really good. But yeah, Sylvester Stallone and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, they, they are geriatric, you know. They, <laughs> Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood enough, uh, have no. you seen Cry Macho? I kind of want to see Cry it. Macho, yeah. Yeah, he's like 90-something years old, and he just came out with his, with that movie. Yeah. Anyway. I'm not a fan of Clint Eastwood anymore. I like his old stuff, but yeah. I like Clint Eastwood. Well, no, I can't say I like all of it, all of his stuff, but I do like Clint Eastwood. Anyway, um, we were talking about how kick-ass Charlie's Theron is, and yeah. uh, how high, high school Josh was definitely... Crushing on Italian job, Charlize Theron. One of my first celebrity crushes, still a celebrity crush of mine. Yeah, so she was co-producer of this film. Uh, let's just get into, you know, uh, this film starring Charlize Theron, James McAvoy, really good actor, mm -hmm. you know, one of my favorites. John Goodman, <laughs> he has a good role in this. He does, he does it, he does it pretty well. Yeah, and uh, Sofia Butella, who um, is known for a few roles. She, you know, she's not a, a really well-known A-list actress, but she did a good job in this movie, I thought. I think so, too. She played her part yeah. well, she was convincing. Uh, this is directed by the co-director of John Wick, David Leach, who is actually the co-director of the first John Wick film. Okay. So, watching this film, it kind of makes a lot of sense, because just like the John Wick film, this has a lot of long-take action shots. Nice. So, I, I'm not familiar with the John Wick series at all. I have not seen any of them. Okay. So. Maybe that'll be as that. Maybe we can watch the whole series for the podcast, or maybe just the first film. But nice. I, I like all of them. And aren't they coming out with a new one, or just recently come out with a new? They recently finished production on the fourth John Wick. Okay. Yeah, the third one introduced Halle Berry to the film franchise. Very nice. But yeah, the long takes in this film I thought were really well done. The takes where action scenes are in one shot. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen similar movies that have done done long takes. I can't think of any specific examples, but I do know what you're talking about. There's a really good one um, with Clive Owen called Children of Men. Okay. And it's just this really long take inside of a car where they're being chased and there's explo explosions going on outside. I just can't imagine the time needed to prepare a single take like that. Right. Including for this film. There's a take later on in the film where she's protecting the German officer, mm -hmm. right? And trying to escape with him to yes. the other side of Berlin. Spyglass is Spy his glasses, code name. His code mm -hmm. name, right. And that take apparently was one single take. With the, uh, the umbrellas and the crowd, which part, like, after the, when they're the, leaving? The, the fight in the hotel when they're both bleeding out. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. they escape in the car, and then the car is run off the road. Well, that that was a real... Yeah, I really liked that scene, too. That was where she... Well, that's where the guy calls her a suka, but then... <laughs> but, the, but like, it was it's exhausting, because she's, like, been fighting for, I don't know, 15 minutes or so? Yeah. And at the end, her and the... Whatever the baddie is, they're, like... Physically, you can just see how worn out they are, and they're like this movie, slow, almost like slow motion, like wheezing, fighting. It was, yeah, it was pretty badass. It was like this movie is also not afraid to show body trauma. You know? Oh God! Well, right from the beginning. Yeah, when she's being interviewed, you just see bruises all over her face. She enters the ice bath, right? The and ice you just bath. see bruises everywhere, all over her body. Mm -hmm. She does show some booty in this film, so that was okay. <laughs> Only booty. You see that you TNA. see TNA. We get some TNA from what's TNA mean? Tits and ass. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, um, you get to see both of those in this film. Josh finally learns what TNA is on um, this see? episode of Unrestricted Movie Podcast. <laughs> That's what Ryan is for. He's here to educate me. Yeah. Anyway, you were, we were kind of talking about the aesthetic of the film, right? Right. I, I, I want to talk about this aesthetic. So, I don't know what it is, but I'm a huge fan of this synthwave slash outrun aesthetic where it's like neon purples, neon pinks, and blues, 80s synthwave music. <laughs> It's, Dude, the music, I'm glad you brought out the music because yeah. I freaking love the music in this right? movie. It's so freaking good. They have different versions of, of these songs, but but most of the songs are just the original 80 pop synthwave stuff, right? And like, they had they had some like German versions of yeah, some eight, really right. popular 80s songs. Like, right. There was the 99 Balloons. Love Balloons, right? Luft Balloons. <laughs> anyway. Which has to do, uh, the lyrics of the song actually have to do with the Cold War. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then um, also, for our non-Russian speakers, at the very end of the movie, when the big final twist is revealed, mm -hmm. and there's a, a pretty intense Spoilers scene ahead. Spoilers I, I, I'm not going to give away everything yet, because I know we're probably going to talk about it. Right. But a song plays by Vladimir Vysotsky, and he's like the Russian Bob Dylan. Okay. <laughs> so and I like to listen. I like to listen to his music. So you have some of his. Albums? I don't have any albums. I just okay. know iTunes. Okay, is up there. So right. No, but anyway, he uh, like I said, he's kind of like the Russian Bob Dylan. So he was really popular right in the thick of the Soviet days, and he kind of got into a little trouble. He had to be careful with his lyrics, but also his okay. lyrics were sending a nuanced message about okay. the, what was going on and right. the communism of the country. And anyway, so so you're saying he's like Bob Dylan in the way that. His his music has kind of an activist message to yes. it. Yes. Okay. He was like a, a musical activist during the thick of the Cold War and like this, I believe, like the 70s-ish era. So Right. And so he was a, like a, a, is it kind of folk music? Yeah. It's more like folk. He plays, plays his acoustic guitar and he has this really low growly Russian voice. Oh, it's that's pretty cool. badass. I'll have to check him out. Yeah. What, what was his name again? Vysotsky. Vysotsky. Mm -hmm. I believe uh, he was an influencer of Regina Spector. So Regina Spector, if you oh, know her, yeah, she's um, wow. I believe a Russian immigrant or some Eastern European country. And when they moved to the United States, they brought his albums. That was like their thing that they brought with them, and so that influenced her music a lot. Really. Mm -hmm. I just want to make one more connection to our former religion and sure. the uh, the subjects of this film. Are, are you familiar with how many CIA agents are? Mormon or have you heard this how like there's a lot of Mormons in the CIA and that like the CIA recruits them because they're kind of like inclined to just follow the rules basically <laughs> I have never heard anything like that, although it wouldn't necessarily surprise me because in our former religion, those traits are very highly encouraged. Right. Yeah, the, the, I mean, their LDS members, especially the boys, are inclined to, you know, be rule followers, I mm -hmm. guess, or, or just like... Well, I mean, twice twice a year... Twice. Your, your wife just whispered assholes, so yeah. Marissa. I'm sorry. No, let's no. be kind. That's why I, like, mouthed it, okay? Can you say... Is it possible to say assholes in a kind way? She did. I said it. With love and respect. <laughs> she says she, that she, to me all the not, time. But she's not calling us assholes. Next time she calls me an asshole, I'll be like, no, oh, you meant that I in a nice way, right? I think that the church likes the men to be in charge, to put women in their place to kind of dominate 
I, I don't mean it like every every man who is a Mormon is an asshole. However, right. I think that what the system wants them to be is in charge and to be like well, the ultimate patriarch. And right. that doesn't allow women to have the voice that they should. Right. I get I get what you're saying. I think for what what we're talking about here is how they encourage blind obedience. And they right. do. And it's it I from I everyone. Talk, I talk about like the shaft that women get in Mormonism and men get the shaft too, but they get them in different ways. Like you sure. guys have this extreme mantle put on your shoulders and you just have to like obey and to drown in your guilt and shame that you're not perfect and what you should be and how like the impossible standards yeah. to live up to where women get the shaft because we're suppressed and we're told to just stay home and have babies. Very like that's true. literally what we're told. Mm. So we both get the shaft. Yeah. We're just in very but, different ways. Right. But you know what? I'm going to go even further. You guys definitely get the shorter end of the stick. Women get the shorter end of the, uh, end of the stick because it is a patriarchal religion. Right. I mean, it, it sucks for women, but it's easy for me to be like, oh, boo-hoo, women, we get the shaft. Because we do. But I don't want to like undermine the fact that it, it really hurts the men too. And it hurts yeah. them more, I think, in like a silent, like an achy way. Like, well, well, that's the thing I've come to learn is that the patriarchy affects both men and women. Yeah. Just different the, ways. The system hurts everyone. Uh, it does. I, you can be in within the system and f you can have good things and you can feel taken care of and you can have a positive experience. Although I think when you realize when you're in it, you don't necessarily see it. But I think everyone's hurt by the system. It is. So my, my asshole comment wasn't, I mean, it was it was directed not specifically toward men, but like the whole patriarchal system. I, right. I hate that. And I hate that. Sorry. I hate that it, it hurt my husband and it hurt you and it hurt all the men who have left it and realized that it's bullshit. I don't think you need to apologize. I think that's a great comment and I think you should leave this in. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Marissa. You're welcome. Sorry for my asshole comment. But, uh, <laughs> but not. Yeah. But sorry, not sorry. We are talking about like whether or not the CIA targets Mormons because of their obedience and loyalty. Right. They may not target Mormons, but I think Mormons are more inclined to join organizations like the CIA. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because of their just being used to blind obedience, like you say. Well, hell, like what? what is a missionary? They're like basically in the CIA. They are told what to do in every phase of their life. Right. They are not in control of their money or finances while they're there. They're not in control of anything. They just do what they're told to do. Yeah. And so, I mean, a really good missionary probably would be a really good CIA agent, you know? And the CIA and the FBI have these training centers, kind of like the missionary training yeah, center in yeah. Provo, you know, Langley... It's a common, it's a common like pride in Mormonism that, or maybe just an urban legend that people say that the CIA training centers are modeled after the missionary training center in Provo. Yeah. Or some of the curriculum or, but the, or, you know, that they've shared ideas because they're so successful at training missionaries to speak languages. And that's something that I've heard, I've heard multiple times. So right. whether it's true or not, who knows? Who knows right? But then also, you know, uh, members, members are encouraged to keep. Exactly. Members are encouraged. All directions. Yeah, members are encouraged to keep secrets. You know, from when their you own go families from their children. When you go to the temple, you're encouraged to not tell anyone what goes on in the temple. 
Yeah. Uh, when you get older are in, and are invited. Sacred, for, not secret, yeah, Josh. Well, when certain people are invited to partake in special ceremonies, they're told not to tell anyone at all to the point where they're not even allowed to acknowledge that that ceremony exists. But being a, a temple recommend holder in the church is almost like being a spy. You're given all these secrets that, that you can't tell anybody. Yeah. Only a select few. people doing it so you can go tell your authorities. Yeah. Well, and it sucks too because it's such like a, like you said, like you're kind of given the past, like, okay, you've proved yourself and we're going to like let you in. But it's such a shitty place to be mm-hmm. because when I went through, I was only going through not because I was ready, but because I was marrying him. Yeah. I didn't even get to go through. Yeah, I was Marissa's ticket. Literally, that's the only reason why I got granted this like holy thing. And then when I went in and they're doing, I'm sorry, the weirdest shit I have ever seen. Mm -hmm. I I panicked. I panicked and I looked around and I looked at him. And of course it is awkward as fuck. I'm sitting next to my very beautiful, very pregnant sister who had her baby like two weeks later. And she wouldn't look at me. And the person next to me wouldn't look at me. And I finally was like, this has got to be a joke. And I'm like looking around and he won't look at me. I was feeling the same. Because it's weird. It is. And it's nobody, super weird. nobody actually gets up and walks out. Like and they you can't tell say you that, that you Marissa. Can't. You can't say it's weird, or else, or else I'm the problem. Like yeah. that's that's the most horrible part about all of it, though, is that even though they'll argue, well, you could have gotten up and walked out. The social in front pressure, of your family and everyone that's there to watch a room full of a hundred people to get up and be like, "Fuck this shit. This is way weird." Like you, it's like social isolation. It's right. social suicide. Like if I had walked out, would Josh have still married me? Would probably, you have? probably not, Marissa. No, probably not. And listeners, just in case you're wondering, uh, let's credit the other voices on this podcast. You're <laughs> yeah. listening to Josh's <laughs> wife, Marissa, and my wife, Haiti. Probably, you know, if you've listened to some other, they are casts sitting here with are. us. And I'm um, supposed to be doing homework, you guys. It's due in like four hours. Oh God, Marissa, get back to your homework. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're distracting you. But before we get into the beats of the film, I I kind of want to have a short section on every episode where we detect whether or not there's a Wilhelm scream in the film. There was, because (laughs) I mentioned it right when it happened, and Marissa knows. I told her. All right, so... The second it happened. That was the Wilhelm scream! Did you hear it? Yes, Josh. For those listeners who are unfamiliar with the Wilhelm scream, what is the Wilhelm scream, Josh? Wilhelm! Yeah, I'll just fill my pipe. The Wilhelm scream. Okay, I don't. I don't know the full history behind it. I just know that it's a tradition uh, in Hollywood movies to have this particular scream sound bite at least like once in the movie. Right, and uh, yeah, the listeners will hear it. <laughs> it's like <laughs> something like that. So where was it in this film? Some dude falling. Did he fall off down a stairwell or something? No. I don't so remember. the the rope around the neck. Charlize Theron jumps out out of the balcony, and the guy has the other end of the rope around his neck. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's actually a garden hose. Oh, oh yeah, a garden hose. Yeah. Yeah, she went full Jackie Chan on those guys. Because she man. uses yeah. the end to like bash him in the face. Like the sprayer end. She oh. she was very intuitive and creative with uh, how she disposed of bad guys in this movie. Oh. 
even going as far as using the trope of what ladies are subject to doing in films like this, of using a frying pan as a weapon. Oh, I thought you were going to stay stabbing someone with a stiletto, because that was kick-ass, too. That's that also was kind a of a trope, but no, like, so many films, there are so many where a woman is, is left with nothing but a frying pan. <laughs> Are you talking about Tangled, Ryan? <laughs> Tangled is one of them. <laughs> yeah. But, no, I mean, she does more than that. She's very intuitive in, in a lot of these fight scenes. Hello. <laughs> How are you guys? Katie just turned to me and said, yeah, in the movie where she's like, oh, this actually works really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so let's uh, get into the beats of this film. So we start with the title saying November 1989. Just days before the fall of the Berlin Wall and the symbolic end of the Cold War. And then we see an MI6 agent running away from somebody and he's murdered by uh, what we learned to be as a KGB agent. Dun, dun, dun. I think his exact words were like the worst KGB cunt ever or something like that. <laughs> and yeah. this, this guy playing the KGB agent. <laughs> he, is, he, he is an idiot. Now, you mentioned the actor. He did not do a, a very good Russian accent. Is that correct? Was it this one or was it another? I think it was, I think it was Bremovich that wasn't super awesome, but I... Okay. And so, I'm yeah, this, sure. this uh, MI6 guy is murdered by the KGB guy, and the KGB guy steals a microfilm document, which contains a list of every active agent in Berlin at the time. Mm -hmm. Never seen that one before. <laughs> <laughs> Where else have we seen it? It's like every Mission Impossible movie. Mission Impossible, for sure. Yeah. Probably 007. <laughs> Probably uh, that one with uh, Mr. Bean in it. <laughs> Well, Johnny English. Johnny English, that probably happens, or Get Smart, or something, you know. I've never fun. seen Johnny English. Um, you never have? No. Oh, I thought for sure you'd I, I love Mr. One. Bean. I love Rowan Atkinson. Yeah, but yeah. He's funny. I, so, is that movie pretty good? Johnny English? It's been probably 20 years since I've seen it, but I remember liking it in, like, high school. Oh. I, I heard they made multiple Johnny English films. Yeah, I don't and, think I've um, seen all of them. I think there's only two, though. Yeah, I'll have to check them out. Um, then we're introduced to Charlie Theron's character, MI6 agent Lorraine Broughton. Mm -hmm. uh, she's being questioned by Toby Jones, uh, who plays an MI6 agent, and John Goodman playing CIA agent Kurtzfeld. Toby Jones, you guys might recognize from the Marvel movies. I can't remember his character's name. It's in not movies. Zemo. It's the computer guy. Right. I can't remember his name. Right. Who works for a... He's like, yeah, he's like the Red Skull's sidekick. Right. Like scientist guy. Really good character actor, I think. Sure. He's been in a bunch of like BBC English... Yeah. So he's a British actor, right? I think so. Because he has a pretty good American accent sometimes too. Yeah. Yeah. Then we, uh, you know, after this uh, interview scene where we jump back and forth from the interrogation room to the last few days of Charlie Theron's character in Berlin. So after the list is stolen, uh, her, her task is to retrieve it. And they warn her character about an elusive double agent uh, working for the KGB known as Satchel. Satchel. Right. So nobody knows Satchel's true identity. Mm-hmm. But he's this elusive guy who um, is just a, a double agent. Works for both sides. And they're both, and both sides are trying to like figure out who it is and expose him. Right. And so she goes in with two objectives, right? She needs to recover the list and expose Satchel. Right. Those are her objectives. Right. Those are her objectives from MI6. Right. Correct? Because she is... An MI6 agent. An MI6 agent. Question mark? <laughs> Damn it, Ryan. Don't give it away. <laughs> 
All right, so when she arrives in Berlin, she's met by a couple of pretty shady motherfuckers. I think she immediately knows something's off about these guys. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, she gets into the car with them. I'm not sure why. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't figure that out either. I was like, oh. But yeah, they, they yeah. say they're, they represent themselves as MI6 agents to pick her up, but she almost immediately recognizes them as KGB agents, mm-hmm. right? And to escape, she uses, this is where she uses the stiletto, right? Yes. <laughs> she does, like, legit beat the crap out of this guy with a stiletto. <laughs> Knocks him out of the car. That would be a terrible death. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> stiletto scare me. <laughs> um, yeah, and she ends up uh, crashing the car to escape. And this is a kind of a humorous scene where uh, Percival... James McAvoy's character. Right. James McAvoy arrives, uh, Percival, who is another MI6 agent, and uh, she's like where were you? You know, and he's living this lifestyle in Berlin. That's kind of bohemian where he's like just having sex with the locals every night and getting drunk and, or, well, or that's his persona that he's created. At right. Least. I think she begins pretty soon after that to suspect that Percival, you know, isn't exactly on the up and up, mm-hmm. you know, he's doing some shady shit. So she begins to follow him and, you know, track his movements Right, and then he's tracking her, of course. Yeah. Like, you get little cuts to him watching her or listening into her, what she's doing, unbeknownst to her. Right. And then he, she catches him, like, sneaking around in his apartment right after she gets there. Right. Or hotel or whatever, wherever it is that she's staying. Right, and she investigates his apartment. Mm-hmm. She's ambushed at this time by Berlin police, but is able to escape. Right. Um, I think this is where she jumps off the balcony. Yes, and this is where she notices the picture of James McAvoy's character, Percival, with the murdered uh, MI6 agent. Right. Like right. they're buddies. They were, yeah, MI6 buddies, right? Yeah, and I think I think what she construes from that is that somehow he's betrayed him. Right. I think that's that, well, that's the feeling that I was getting. She, she's suspecting him of, of killing him or being involved in his murder. Right. Right. Uh, later, while visiting a restaurant freak that's frequented by the KGB, she meets this French agent, uh, Delphine Lasalle. Who has also been following her around. Right. This is, of course, the beautiful Sophia Votella, who I thought did a really good job in this movie. Absolutely. Between the two, they have... A shit ton of sexual chemistry, and they hit it off right away. Um, they have they start this physical relationship. And you could call it that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you get this uh, this lurid sex scene between the two. Why the gun, Delphine? I know who you are. You're Lorraine Broughton, MI6, and you're here because of the death of Gascoigne. But if someone is killing Allied officers, shouldn't we all care? Whatever's in that list has people willing to kill for it. I'm scared, okay? You should have become a poet or a rock star. Which, I don't know, what would you think of the sex scene? We're talking about rated R movies. This is kind of one of the scenes that made it rated R. I mean, it was good. <laughs> Marissa, so I watched the movie with Marissa, and she fell asleep during this part. So there was no aw- weird, awkward, the like sex scene. There was no, like no weird, awkward looking over or anything. That. Yeah, I don't think you noticed. Yeah, she was asleep. So you just looked over. You know, I was like, oh, okay, I'm good to like okay? enjoy this part. <laughs> You did not! Oh my god. 
Uh, no, I'm not going to lie. It was a good scene. It was a good scene. So uh, then after the scene, we get Percival following Lorraine to a watch shop where he finds the KGB agent with the watch talking about selling it and its secrets. And Percival ends up leading the KGB agent to an alley where he just shoots him dead. Right. And he takes the watch. So now it's in the hands of Percival. A lot happens where Percival is getting intel alone, and Lorraine is trailing him, like we said, and getting her own intel about him. And you know, Meanwhile, he's getting intel and meeting with KGB officials on the side. Yeah. So, so let me ask you. So, th- there are a lot of complicated aspects of this film. Sure, it's a it's a web. Does is in the end is Percival a double agent? Yeah, I think he. Yeah, he is a double agent. Working for he's both working both sides. MI6 and KGB. Right. Although I think his goal is not to just recover the list. I think his goal is to get rid of the list. Yeah. Because he's implicit. We find out later later on in the film he's implicit in the death of Spy Spyglass. Spyglass, the German officer. The German officer or intel agent right. who com- who comes to the other side. They're trying to get him out because he has the list memorized. Spyglass has the list memorized, yeah. So that, when he dies, that's in Percival's favor, I think, because I think, like I said, his goal is to just get rid of the list. He doesn't right. want the list out there because it has, it compromises him and everyone else. That, that, that's what I'm saying, like, is he truly a double agent or is he more self-interested, right? Because I, I don't I, think, I don't think what he, I think what he does benefits himself more than it does MI6 or the KGB. I think it's complicated. Yeah. yeah, I guess it's more selfishly motivated, but he's working. He's working both sides. That's pretty clear, right? So both him and Lorraine are tasked with escorting this German officer, like we said, Spyglass, across the border to West Berlin because he memorized the list. And uh, Percival ends up shooting Spyglass, and you know, as he's bleeding out. And as Lorraine is bleeding out, too, from being wounded, she's trying to protect him, and they have this uh, long-take scene, which we talked Probably about. Probably the best, the best scene of the film? It's a really good fight scene. I mean, the ending is really good, too, but... Just the way they're, you know, out of breath and... Like, you know, I, was, I was exhausted yeah. by that point in the movie. Like, that it, was a lot of fighting, man. It just seemed very authentic and, you know, close-up body shots and, and just Bru- It was brutal. It was very it was brutal. brutal. So Spyglass, um, after they escape, he actually later drowns because the cars run off the road into the river. And um, Lorraine finds out that Percival planned a bug on her when she gets to the other side of Berlin. Mm-hmm. She's being She's been being tracked the whole time. Right, and she notices that the bug is French. Right. right. So as to implicate um, her lady friend... Right. Delphine. Do you think that she actually thought it was Delphine that did it? No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think, think she so ever. Either. I don't think she ever trusted the person. I think she knew it. it was Percival. Right. Right. So she calls Delphine to kind of warn her. Mm-hmm. Right. And when that's happening, Percival enters Delphine's apartment. Right. It's too late. And strangles her to death in one of the most brutal killings of the film. I yeah. thought. Sorry, darling. This is the game. 
just moments before uh, Charlie Theron's character arrives to. She arrives too late, sees the body of Delphine on the floor, strangled to death, and Percival has left the building. Um, she tracks him down and ends up shooting him and takes the list. Playing this crooked game in this crooked town. I fucking love Berlin! You didn't have to kill her. You suddenly decided to develop a conscience. You wanted the KGB to take me out? Yeah. You were too fucking scared to do it yourself. You smart. More like. Turns out you've been a very naughty girl. Okay, so the info that she gives MI6 is meant to paint Percival as Satchel. Right, and uh, just a quick question. Like, at what point in this movie did you think, oh, Percival is for sure, like, this Satchel double agent bad guy? When, I think when they, when they told... Okay, so they told... Charlize Theron near the beginning of the film to watch out for the satchel mm-hmm. person. And then when James McAvoy is introduced, especially when he arrives late and picking her up, I thought, okay, he's satchel. Yeah, I think I suspected the whole time, honestly. Right. I mean, you you kind of get Delphine's character and you're thinking, well, maybe she's just playing her a little bit. But by the time the, uh, he shoots Spyglass, it was like over for me. I was like, oh, for sure. It's just him. But was he Satchel? Was he? I don't know. Was he Ryan? Okay. So Have we then, gotten to that last scene yet? So then she meets with the KGB agent. And so this she, is after everything. After right? everything. So right. So she finishes telling her story to MI6 and the CIA. And they close the case. The MI6 yes. closes the case because they believe that uh, Satchel has been discovered as this dead guy, James McAvoy. Oh, and she, she killed him. She killed him. So, so case, case closed. Right. So we get a scene later on where she's... Speaking now with a Russian accent to this KGB agent. And the KGB guys don't trust her. Mm-hmm. Right? So they try to kill her. Right. And she's able to, you know, turn things around and gain the upper hand. At this point, killing all the other KGB agents except the main guy. Her accent changes from Russian to American. Yeah. So she's had three <laughs> accents now. Well, I, I guess when she was, she didn't have a Russian accent. She was speaking Russian, right? Yeah, she was speaking Russian. Okay. Pretty good Russian, by the way. Really? Yeah. Good accent, everything? Yeah, really good. Okay. Not native, but really, really good. I mean, she's a great actress, you know. Absolutely. She's, and I think, you know, she's from, uh, she's like half South African, half American. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, maybe that helps with her, her knowledge of accents. I don't know. Yeah, so she has a lot of languages and accents that she uses in this film. But yeah, she's speaking with an American accent now, and so she lets this KGB agent know that she's been feeding him misinformation the entire time. Mm-hmm. Did you really think I was going to give you that list? Before you die, I want to get this through your thick, primitive skull. I never worked for you. You worked for me. Every piece of intel you gave me a bullet in my fucking gun. I want my life back. And then she kills him. And then she kills him. <laughs> and then we get to the final scene. She um, walks on her plane to, like, get out of there. Right. And who's there with her? Mr. John Goodman. Right, from the CIA. From the CIA. And so we learn that she is a... 
Triple agent. Triple agent. (laughs) CIA pretending to be KGB, pretending to be MI6. (laughs) So she's just duping everybody. Right. Yeah, I mean, what do you think of this twist? I thought it was a fun twist. I kind of sort of suspected it, but not really. So I liked it. I thought it was great. Yeah. Like, you you, you know the entire movie that Charlize Theron is the smartest person in the room at all times. And so it's not super far-fetched to think that she was just playing everybody. Right. And and I said I had some criticisms of this movie. Um, let me just get to those. Like Sure. Well, I guess it may, it may just be one. I mean, my main criticism is that this movie is so plot-heavy that it can be hard to follow if you're not paying complete attention. I agree. And <laughs> you may have understood it better than I did, but I actually needed to go back and read some plot summaries to, to see, oh, okay, that's what happened. You know what helps, Ryan? Subtitles. <laughs> English subtitles always. No, yeah, I I, can see that. I had the same problem in, in spots. It's definitely a tangled web that doesn't completely clearly unravel, I think. Right. But I, you know, I guess with the best spy movies, that's what they do. Like yeah. Mission Impossible and James Bond movies, but right. no, I I would put this on tier with any mediocre to good James Bond movie. Yeah, I would put it on tier with like the Daniel Craig James Bond movies. You know, like yeah. I, I think they're better than the Pierce Brosnan ones, and I don't know, like some of them can be kind of hacky and tacky, but this one wasn't though. This one wasn't, and it had a lot of really cool elements, like you said, just the aesthetics of the film, the setting, the music. All things that are not anywhere part of the James Bond universe. So I, I, I thought those at, those elements added some really cool pieces to the movie. Yeah. It was a great action movie, great spy movie. I say we get more movies with more female leads, especially with Charlie's there. I mean, let's go. Um, let's rate the film. Okay. So I am going to go with a four. I'm going to go with a four. I liked this movie Four a lot. Golden Idols. Four Golden Idols. Why the hell not? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> he only rated it a four because of that lesbian sex scene. It, without the lesbian sex scene, well, it's probably on. like a three and a half. Hold on. <laughs> why don't we... <laughs> to be we'll fair. Play it, we'll play why don't we separate the two? Let's rate the le- let's rate the sex scene first. Okay. Wait, wait, no, rating no, no, it? Okay. What? Yeah, I'm joking. <laughs> In all honesty, it did not move my rating of the film at all. I don't want to sound like a jackass. something else. Okay. I'm just making fun. I love you. I did. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you. I enjoyed the movie. I'm giving it four golden idols with or without the lesbian sex scene. Okay. That's a great score. You know, I uh, thought about my rating before we started recording and, you know, believe it or not, I actually chose a four for this movie as well. Boom. Right on the money. So, uh, we both gave a rating of four golden idols for the movie Atomic Blonde. What are we going to watch next week? We are going to watch an all-time classic that I've never seen, but have always wanted to, and it's super... And I actually know what you're going to pick, because, (laughs) (laughs) believe it or not, we're going to be recording next week's podcast, (laughs) back-to-back with this one, and I watched this movie, too. What are we going to be talking about next week? We're going to be talking about Pulp Fiction, so... Like I said, a movie that I've always wanted to see, never been able to, or gotten around to it, or felt too guilty to watch... But it's obviously something that's been in the zeitgeist for forever, and I'm super stoked about watching it. Sorry if I'm making the curtain too transparent for the listeners. (laughs) Don't break down the fourth wall. (laughs) Oh. 
Tune in next week, listeners, for our takes on Pulp Fiction, one of my favorite movies. <laughs> <laughs>